developing devotion because uh, most of us who come to Buddhism uh, we choose it uh, when we're adults we're not brought up in a Buddhist culture or a family where the there's the devotional kind of cultural heritage. Like those of you who come from Buddhist countries or families, and there's a a kind of faith and devotion that's quite natural to that kind of conditioning. With Westerners, we often choose it uh, intellectually as well, the ideal of Buddhism is very attractive, it inspires us. And notice ideals are, they're, they're mental, they don't feel anything. If you're attached to ideas, you don't feel like. And uh, we tend to be from very idealistic uh, society. Uh, oftentimes our, we don't feel life all that much when we're, when we're attached to ideas. So we, we get very high standards and, and, uh, and because ideas are, ideals are very high and very pure in themselves, but with attachment, identity, uh, to ideas, makes us quite insensitive because we're always comparing the, what we're experiencing with an ideal and, it's, and the experience of life is not an ideal it's a flesh and blood hot and cold, love and hate changing, emotional vibrant, dynamic experience of the present where an ideal is, is fixed in like the stars in the sky Yeats's poem, Monuments of Unaging Intellects. Ideals are like that, are monuments. Unaging intellect. They, you can have an ideal when you're ten years old, and it, an ideal that can be exactly the same when you're a hundred years old. It doesn't age. So it oftentimes makes us very critical of everything because the life is, we can see the ideal is the perfect, you know, you can, you can create perfect image as an ideal, how things should be, how you should be, how the world should be, how Buddhism should be. I remember when I was president of the Buddhist Society, the, in London, they're, they're always having conflicts in the Buddhist society, little factions fighting and quarreling with each other. And uh, people say, I'm disappointed with Buddhism. It shouldn't be this way. I thought Buddhists wouldn't be like this. And the ideal Buddhist, of course, is Buddha, who wouldn't be like that. <laughs> but, uh, 
So you're, you're expecting Buddhists to be to be in Buddhist societies, Buddhist monasteries, to be you know be a collection of Buddhas. But speaking for myself, and if I may speak for the remaining sangha here, we're not Buddhists. <laughs> <laughs> So devotion, say, is is a heart uh, developing the heart uh, element, the sense of gratitude, uh, humility, uh, rather than 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 being a kind of on your high horse, saying uh, should be like this, and Buddha should be like that, and monks, Buddhist monks and Buddhist nuns, they should be this way, they shouldn't and if they show anything less than that, somehow I'm disappointed, I'm totally disillusioned because uh, they're not, you know, they have they're not that much different from us. Ajahn Sumedho, he's a, you know, you can you can project onto me all kinds of ideas of you know, that I can look pretty good on a meditation retreat. Sit straight, say wise things day after day. You probably, you know, you probably, you know, he's, you get, you get inspired, you get, uh, you, you start seeing me as, uh, when I'm on my, in, in my kind of Buddha mode, excellent form. And then, Get to know, see me when I'm not in that particularly straight posture, and I'm just totally disillusioned. I'm really completely. I didn't think Ajahn Sumedho would would ever talk about Madonna <laughs> or Michael Jackson. He's not supposed to know about such horrible things. <laughs> And he goes back to his caravan, he's supposed to sit there in samadhi, quiet, composed, spreading metta throughout the universe. So that the um, devotional side is, isn't coming from an ideal of the best and that, but it's, uh, it's gratitude for the good things that we have, that, like for a, for a samana, monk or not, it's to, you contemplate the, the requisites, the food uh, in your alms bowl, the robes, the shelter, the more requisites. And you develop gratitude because you think we're all mendicants. We depend upon the kindness of other people. We don't have any money or we can't even ask for these things, uh, you know. I want you to get me this kind of food, and I want the best kind of shelter. All the rest, uh, we're, we're not coming from wanting the best, or expecting to have the best, that uh, the ideal stuff, 
the highest quality and that that of even our requisites, but the requisites are based on the lowest standard of rag robes, uh, alms food, which means anything that anyone can put in your alms bowl, shelter for the night, a tree, root of a tree is a basic reflection, or or uh, medicine is uh, is urine, fermented urine. So the, with the lowest standard of requisites, fermented urine, you can't get much lower than that for medicine. <laughs> Root of a tree. Rags for real robes, the stuff that the lay people don't want, they throw out. And, and, yeah, they, and then we can collect those rags and make robes of them. Or food, whatever people want to give you, you know, and drop whatever in your alms bowl. And you, then you develop this katanya, or this gratitude. Because you contemplate, you have to think about it and reflect, you know. This is, this is an offering, this is Rather than, than compare it to an ideal standard of, you know, a high standard of material expectation, gourmet food, uh, the highest quality brown rice, organically grown vegetables. What if, what if somebody put British beef in my own bowl? Mad cow disease. It's like this, you know. get that thing out of my own door. <laughs> well, they put in the steak, you know. I like it, you know, done medium rare. <laughs> So coming from an alms mendicant position, this gives you a lot of gratitude because you think, who, who am I that, that, that you should give me anything? You know, why should you put anything in my alms bowl or care about me at all? The fact that you do, that you do care, yeah, usually people want to give the best. They aren't just going to give you their worst food or the worst cloth for your robes or you know, they never usually want to give the very best they can, according to their circumstances, whether rich or poor, whatever, but but you're recognizing the quality of mind, the, the offering made, not the, of, of the material thing itself, but the, the action, the, the purity, the goodness of the action involved. So then when you contemplate, when you think about it, and reflect on it, then you, you know, I develop this uh, gratitude, which is a very, you know, heartfelt feeling. It, and even though you, you contemplate it, uh, the idea of gratitude and you think about it, but it reaches the heart because 
You're dealing with the things you need to survive, and the basic things that you need just to survive as a creature on this planet, like food. Basic to survival or shelter, something to wear, medicine for illness. Gratitude to the Buddha for the teaching and the, being able to listen to the Dhamma and for opportunities to practice and all this it helps us to say the heart experience begins to to uh, develop rather than just coming from the ideal of of uh, Buddhist ideas, service, helping each other, helping the uh, monasteries or the Buddhist societies or service to others rather than, you see, what can I get out of this outfit? Come to Amravati to get something, see what I can get out of the place. Uh, that that doesn't bring it's not a spiritual uh, feeling at all and seeing what you can get but the feeling of service of helping contributing generosity dana with morality I think what an honor it is to to be able to take the priest This kind kind of right to be moral. You know, people talk about rights to to have this and that, and rights to do what they want, rights to dress the way they want, rights to say what they want. And Berkeley, in, back in nineteen sixty, when I was there, the free speech movement. People were protesting, because in those days you couldn't use four-letter words in public situations. And uh, Berkeley in those days, well, we have a right to use four-letter words, say what we want in public, free speech movement. And so, uh, they demanded now you can say anything in public. <coughs> four-letter expletives are quite common. A wonderful right, isn't it? Uh, to be able to say those things in public and scream. And all these, these different things, rights for, endlessly demanding rights for, for this or that. And then the right to be moral, think of that. To be responsible for yourself, for your, what, how you live and what you say. Other than seeing morality as in something kind of imposed on you <clears throat> from a society that demands you, you be moral and, and uh, intimidate you. You can look at it that way. Or you can see it as, as your right to, to live in a way that you can respect. 
Because when we keep to the precepts, then, you know, one respects oneself much more than if you're just following the impulses of emotion or desire, instinct, uh, that you might have in the present. It's my right to do what I want, say what I want. But then, a lot of what we feel like, and and that isn't very good, and you don't respect yourself for doing those things, saying those things. At least I don't. When I act uh, in a foolish and selfish and stupid way and say uh, foolish things to people, then I don't, I can't respect that, can't respect myself for, for being like that. You can understand it, you know, how, you know, I can understand the human predicament and how you might be feeling and thinking. But the respect, self-respect comes through living in a way, acting in a way that you, you can respect. Now these are like foundation for spiritual development. Thila, morality and generosity. Dana, Thila and Pawana or development, uh, insight, meditation. So they use these three, three stages. Dana, Thila, Pawana, which is generosity, morality and meditation. So, in say my own reflections, I've, I've developed a lot of gratitude to uh, my teacher, Lung Po Cha. I used to think, you know, he accepted me as his student, taught me, put up with my stubbornness and arrogance, and. Uh, infinitely patient and so forth and uh, so I felt enormous gratitude to to uh, Ajahn Chah to my Upachaya the preceptor who's still alive in uh, in Thailand I go see him every year and just a feeling of gratitude of having given me the ordination to the Buddha, the historical Buddha, gratitude that he established a teaching that so in such a profound way that it's still is still available to us at a, at this time. This is contemplation, thinking about the good things that happen to you, the, the things that really mean something and and help you in your spiritual development. Here at Amravati, there's the fact that we have a place to live and and people care about Amravati and provide the food and and the uh, robe, medicine.
when people get into, I don't like this about Amravati, and I don't like that, and I think we better have kutis. I don't like living in those buildings with all those rooms because kutis are much better and uh, too big and too many people and too much work and too complicated and it goes on like that. You get, uh, you know, people think in terms of of how they would like it to be compared to an ideal place but they're not developing the gratitude for what they have so the standard say for someone for monks and nuns is isn't you know having what we want but being grateful for shelter for the night I have this nice uh, caravan and look up and thank you for this shelter for the night I say it's my caravan uh, and uh, I started getting possessive and thinking about it as my mine and uh, the shell or the room you live in or the kuti you live in and think it's mine and it and uh, or you look at somebody else has a better place and you think there they have a better place to live in than I do and I'm senior should we let the anagarikas live in in the better rooms or should we just find the worst rooms dump them in the rooms and those senior members take the best me first is that a beautiful, <laughs> is that a beautiful like, mental state? I had, uh, being being first, most senior of the community. I had, and I've been senior for so many years now in Thailand and whatnot. I chart and I was senior. That was like twenty-five years now. I've had. I'm the first one in the food line. go down the line. I can take the best things. I remember it used to be quite a trial. I'd look at the food and I, oh, this is, you know, the best pieces. <laughs> you find your greed, you know. I mean, I'm first and you can, you know, you think about the last Anagarika, you know, the in the line, that what what she's going to get, you know, after all of us have taken the best we can find off, off the food line. Mm. And so you see this in yourself. There's this kind of greedy tendency to, to, uh, to, to just be fascinated by the opportunity of being first and, and helping yourself to the best pieces. And then you contemplate this in terms of, is this a beautiful mental state? You know, something to respect. And then you think about, you know, you've got to look out when you're, when you're senior, you've got to look out for the juniors, that, you know, not just you, you get first choice and you can take the best of everything, but you've got to think about the last Anagarika. Is she going to get anything worthwhile? The last 
few scraps of boiled cabbage and a few grains of rice. Well, you've passed the cabbage already, the white cabbage. Those roast potatoes look really good. <laughs> Even though they dampen your spleen, man. <laughs> when it comes to taste, uh, I don't particularly concern about my spleen. <laughs> your liver. So contemplating, you know, you, 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 uh, you know, you really, uh, the responsibility of being first is that it's an honor and to, to use that position not for self, uh, for getting things for yourself, but for trying to, to, uh, serve the community. And then you think, when you're senior, oftentimes you get into this, uh, the community should support me. I'm senior, and uh, they should support me. And then you get really offended if you don't feel supported by the community. Things like this, because this is always a very selfish position, isn't it? To think of yourself first. Or you expect respect, you know. You should respect me, because I'm senior. But this, you know, when you, when you contemplate it, you, you realize how, how ugly that kind of, those kind of mental states are. They're painful to feel, you know, to want people to respect me. To me, is a very painful mental state. And I think, why should they respect me? And if I'm being like that, I don't think they should respect me. <laughs> uh, if I'm demanding, ordering you to respect me, I, I, don't, I think you're stupid to respect me, actually. Because respect is something from the heart, isn't it? Something you give from your heart, not something that you can just turn on because somebody tells you. So then it's heart level of experience, isn't it? It's knowing your heart, what's, what's truly beautiful and worthy of respect in yourself. So I used to make a practice, to, because I had this kind of greed in the food line problem, because <clears throat> I'm quite greedy character uh, by nature, sensually greedy, uh, loving comfort and luxury. I'm not a real ascetic. Um, you know, I don't, I, I like high quality things, beauty and all that. I really have all the kind of very sensual tendencies and then food. I, you know, like that good food. So then you, you, you're faced with this, you get first choice, and then, then, you, then your mind goes, and you're greed, and oh, I wonder, that's the best piece, isn't it? That, that's, 
and you start and you, you contemplate then I used to do this practice of taking the, the worst possible things in, in the line and what is the most awful food in this line or <laughs> 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 well, what is it that, that nobody else wants and, uh, and things like this so that, I mean it's a changing of, of just training yourself to you know to, to you know to going against uh, the, these other tendencies and I found that very I really felt very good about that when I was really uh, doing that because something in me I could kind of admire myself I felt better about myself then when I was, then that awful greedy thing, that monster that's always looking for the best and trying to get, get the best, is not, it's not a, something that I can respect. But this is contemplation, isn't it? You see, you're observing, not condemning greed or, or saying that how awful you are for feeling it, but just noticing the result of following greedy tendency, selfish selfishness and and that is what is it what is the result of it? And and it is a, I don't like my I begin to hate myself. Feel contempt uh, for myself when I because uh, those those kind of mental states to me are painful. Mm-hmm. Then after a while, just through contemplation, you you just know how much food you need, and and you and you really don't care anymore about about food. You don't really care about it. It's no longer a problem because you've contemplated and you're grateful for what what's available, but you're not expecting, demanding, and you don't really care that much about what it is. Say so you not well the first few years of monastic life because of my nature and so forth it was food was a big thing it was you know really a strong it was one of the big events of the day you know you had one meal a day and uh, celibate life and routine monastic things everything uh, then you're off in your kuti meditating and and everything was pretty, you know, anapanasati, mindful of the breath, and everything gets pretty boring, and the only kind of, the stimulating experience of the day is the meal. You get some excitement. Sensual pleasure, things like that. So you st- really the, the meal is a big, big event. But then through contemplation, reflection, and not through suppression or, or, or anything, but through understanding that, that you develop a dispassionate relationship to, to food, to the sensual experiences, the more, the sense of cool dispassion rather than excitement and, and then the opposite of just, you know, suppression, resistance, 
to the things that you find exciting and stimulating, that whole thing kind of calms and balances itself out into equanimity. But it does take contemplation, watching how your mind works, and not judging, and and uh, according to ideals and and perceptions of yourself, but in just learning from what what is what brings peace and calm and self-respect and and uh, what doesn't within the limits of your particular convention, like when I'm using monasticism, because that's what I've used, you know, monastic form. The lay people, you have to be aware of the conventions that you're using, and to use those as, as guidelines, standards to, to reflect from.